Welcome to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Your hosts are freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield, plus videographer and host of the YouTube channel Craving Cars, Corey Pratt, and 35-year radio veteran, book publisher, and vehicular village idiot, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's rev up the conversation time for driven radio show welcome to driven radio your weekly automotive caucus i am brett hatfield i'm here with our exalted engineer and co-host catfish groves the and the evil genius of craving cars on youtube mr Corey pratt (laughs) welcome back thank you sir uh we are coming to you from driven radio studios in chili overland park kansas if you like what you're hearing tell your friends or better yet, go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, say something nice. If there's something you'd like to hear more of or someone you think we need to talk to, please tell us. You can reach me at brett at readthedriven.com. Send us a message. Uh, send us the pictures and stories about your cars. Let us see your projects, your cruisers, your show cars, your racers, whatever you got in your garage, whatever your fun toys are. Uh, if you got a really cool story, maybe we'll have you on the show. Uh, send us all of that good stuff. Again, brett at readthedriven.com. Gentlemen. Sir. Yes. What did you do car-wise this week? Well, um... Yes? A couple things. I'll keep this nice and short. Um, sorry you missed me last week. I know I, I would have missed me too, but... I, I was hard. I was heartbroken. <laughs> yeah, but it was, uh, it, was, it was for a good cause. Um, it's an ongoing video that's been going on for the last couple of months. I thought you were going to say it was because you weren't Of here. a documentary, basically, that we're making of getting a 1,000-plus uh, horsepower out of an Audi RS7. Ooh, wow. And so... Because uh, everybody needs that to commute. And, and that was a big tuning uh, dyno day thing down in Joplin, Missouri. So I had to be down there for that to get the footage, obviously. Very, so, very cool. And... I kind of came sort of close to buying another car. What? Spill it. As an 08 uh, Porsche Cayman S Sport. Really? Yeah. They were a limited edition. There's only 700 of those made in 08. Really? And this was a t- number 200 and something or other out in California. So I almost was going to book a plane to go out there this weekend to go grab it. What stopped you? Um, I guess <laughs> I, senses. I, uh, <laughs> I, I looked at the price and I was like, you know what? Damn loan that, officer. I, I would pay that, but... Why pay that one? I can try to get it less. Oh, uh, hey. Now you're talking my language. Yes. I thought, what would Mark do? Oh. <laughs> Mark would cheap out. <laughs> Mark, so I tried to talk him down about 2500 bucks, and then they just said, no, I'll go to the next guy. <laughs> I'd save the bullet because I didn't pull the trigger. Uh-huh. <laughs> so if I'd have just paid that, I would have I would have it. But other than that, uh, I guess they just, you know, most car places, if if, if uh, they go, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that. But I'll tell you what, you can blah, blah. Nothing. No counter, no nothing. Just like, okay, I'll go to the next guy. Well, they probably I'm have like, the seriously. next guy already. Yeah, that's yeah, possible. Uh, and for the record, you cheap bastard. Yeah. Well done, you. Sorry. You should be proud. You did the Thank responsible thing. I'm getting a pat on the back from one side of the room. Now, once you get my age, <laughs> you'll regret it every minute for the rest of your life. But you did the right thing. <laughs> there. Feel better? Gutless. <laughs> Except that I don't have a portion. <laughs> What'd you do, Mr. Mark? Well, I went to Greaserama on Saturday. It was awesome. Very cool. Uh, and just a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of really cool vehicles. And Seven degrees hotter than the surface of the sun. Oh, my God. Yes. It was dancing on fire the whole time. All I did was sweat and i did uh, at least talk to three people who listened to me sweat as they spoke <laughs> they uh there wow. were three really cool cars that i got some interviews on stuff that i really liked and just generally enjoyed the day out there because uh, uh, it was even as hot as it was it was very cool 
and uh, I'll, and discovered, I, I think we mentioned this on the other show too, on uh, Road Muscle Radio, that uh, I, I discovered that Facebook, if you go into Facebook Marketplace, uh, you can set it not oh, to just 100 right. miles. Yeah. I wasn't scrolling down far enough. You yeah. can set it to 500 miles. I got a 1,000 mile in diameter friggin' shopping basket. To look through for so these. there's even more crap for him to uh, get. You're damn right. Juicy <laughs> over and not buy, not buy, or end up being the complete opposite of what they say it is uh, when you show up. I'm getting better. So now you got to drive further to get rejected. More, more rusty car on and ministers out there. All I have to look for <laughs> yeah. is you know weeds to, next to the tires. I don't even look at the prices. I just as it got weeds around it. Okay, I'll look at it. <laughs> five hundred miles covers that almost all looks of too Arkansas. Clean. We don't want it? that one. Yeah. And doesn't that five hundred mile sweep cover all of Arkansas now? Just about. <laughs> It's pretty. It it goes down like pretty much to Dallas, and oh, yeah. it goes get way you up over, north. Get you over to Memphis. Don't buy anything in Memphis. And it has done me some. Uh, it has done me some solids. I've got some really good leads. I'll be talking to a guy this Friday night about a uh, fifty-six good. Plymouth. So right. we'll very see. very cool. Yeah. Brett, so Brett, what did you do, Brett? Brett just, uh, just I took... polished everything. Oh, there you, go. <laughs> you know, if if you stay away from the warehouse long enough, and you go back down there, everything will have dust on it. And it gives you a reason to hang out and just detail crap. Just detail and turn up the yeah. music and cuss a lot. Turn up the music, or in my case, believe it or not, I have an ancient TV down there that has an, a VHS player. Oh wow, still in it. Oh wow, and I also had all of the Bond movies up until the time of DVDs on VHS. So I'm down there watching Thunderball, polishing cars. <laughs> Nice. Okay. Go. And if you want another 27 inch picture two TV, I got one you can have. Oh, I bet. <laughs> uh, you know, this week we got a we got a bunch of interesting news. We've got news about the return of the Jeep Grand Wagoneer. Uh, GM is diving deeper into the EV truck biz. Aston mm. Martin debuts a sexy new vantage tribute car. And there is a new supercar in the Maserati pipeline. Uh, okay, whatever. Hey. <laughs> Our special guest this week is Gary Wales, the visionary builder of Radical oh. Customs with a fantasy bent. Gary will be here to discuss his history in the automotive world, where he gets his amazing ideas, and the recent sale of his Buick Y-Job replica. Now, I say that. I'm not entirely sure it sold. I know it was at the... Uh, worldwide auctioneers uh, sale in Auburn, Indiana last week, mm. but I don't think that's found new ownership yet. So oh, it might sexy. still be up for grabs. So it Mark. is sexy, and I have seen that car in the flesh, laid my hands on it, taken pictures of it, and also cool La Bestione too. Another one of his cars oh that God, it just it looks like it came sad. out of some kind of LSD fueled dream. <laughs> it's wonderful. It, it is nuts. It is brilliant and crazy. <laughs> And the, what the world needs more of. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not going to disagree with that. we got a lot of news to cover this week, so Mr. Mark. Let's get into it. Jeep Grand Wagoneer is returning as a $100,000 plus full-size luxury SUV. Because God knows the world needed another oh $100,000 SUV. Oh, God, yes. We really... <laughs> Does I, it got a Hellcat engine in it? Uh, it's well, let, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it does. Let's see. It's uh, this time it's a full size luxury SUV. It's related to the Ram fifteen hundred pickup, so we would kind of hope, but the possibility is there. It's yeah. showing it in concept form with a plug in hybrid drivetrain. Mm. Yay! Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to start production in mid twenty twenty one and should range from sixty thousand to over one hundred thousand for the top of the line. It's a version of the Ram 1500 full-size pickup with body-on-frame construction. So it's a new K-car. <laughs> uh, but it's also just like the... So it's a frame, uh, a the, real frame. Like the like the Ford Expedition and the Lincoln Navigator. Mm -hmm. And it's just like the Tahoe, Yukon, Escalade, 
whatever right. the hell else GM's yeah, got. Yeah, it says it's even a, it's similar in size to the Chevy Tahoe and Suburban, and I'm looking See? at a picture of it right now. And it honest looks to like God, a it's navigator. Just, it does. It looks, looks like, like a Lincoln navigator. navigator, and and that's it. Uh, the Wagoneer version will be the mainstream competitor to Chevys and GMCs, while the more upscale Grand Wagoneer, it's a Grand Wagoneer, it's a Grand Wagoneer, it's Grand Wagoneer it's Grand. will be closer to the Cadillac Escalade and Lincoln and navigator. navigator. Please tell me it's got wood paneling. Oh, it's got lots of chrome, massive 24-inch wheels, intricate detailing found in the lighting elements, badging, and grill. I just, I'm looking at the pictures, and I just, it's that's another. intricate. That, it's another really expensive. <laughs> it's another. It's, really it's the best word they can come up with, I guess. I guess cabin looks. You know, it looks nice. I mean, don't get me wrong, especially compared oh, sure. to what I oh, like yeah. to drive. Uh, but it does have a mix of wood and leather, so there is some wood in it, but you don't get all the good paneling. Wood and leather. Um, screens are everywhere. <laughs> Digital gauge cluster, <laughs> upper and lower infotainment. Blah blah blah. blah Three blah, rows blah. of seats, standard. So you can haul okay. your clan. So it's, yeah. Yeah, you got that just, third uh, row. Put grandma, grandpa. Ass. There you go. Uh, production model will likely share its powertrain with the Ram 1500. I don't would, want to shit in the back. It would mean hybrid <laughs> assisted 3.6 liter V6 and 5.7 liter V8 gas engines. Possibly a turbo diesel. Uh, three point lead, uh, three liter V6. Mm-hmm. Plug in hybrid version is sure to reach production as well. Uh, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Two, three hundred miles Sounds on exciting. trying sure. to drag a body like that around. Uh, Jeep <laughs> President Christian Meunier. Uh, or Meunier, as you will, said that uh, if, you want, you, if I saw French, what'd you call me? <laughs> I am from FCA. I say, so he, looks, you. I say he looks like Meunier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I'd have thought of that first. Uh, the fully loaded Grand Wagoneer will top 100K and arrives wow. at dealerships mid 2021. You know, the wild thing was, no wood I, was paneling. I was looking at this story, uh, and one of the images I pulled up on a Google search was an old Grand Wagoneer from the late 80s that had a four-inch lift and a set of polished aluminum wheels on it. And I was looking at it and going, that's the coolest thing I've seen this week. And then I looked at the new one and I said, oh. I I saw (laughs) this. I've got two Grand Wagoneers in my uh, Facebook, uh, the saved ones. Oh, do you really? One's like 1200 bucks, and it's down in Dallas. Oh, God. And there's another one that's around three grand that's not too far from here that's in really good condition. And it's Those it's things. a hard toss, man. Those things are cool. And it's still Mopar. Yeah. It's still Mopar. It's it from is. 90 and before, Absolutely. so it's got that goofy-ass look to it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like, I am too a tough Jeep, but I'm really kind of like the grills on them. Well, yeah. yeah, oh, but, yeah. But if you put a four-inch lift on one and some decent wheels and yep. tires... Very studly looking. Some and good I, polished I, Mickey honest Thompson's to, on it. Mm. Honest to God, looked at that and thought, Crackers. I miss Crackers. my Bronco so much. Yeah. I would consider doing one of these. They are old school cool. Yes, they are. Amen. So, hey, uh, GM is going to build an electric pickup for Nicholas. Yeah, God. What bless. is the big Yay! deal about the electric thing? It's all pickups now. Yeah, everybody wants an electric pickup, it seems, or at least that's what they're going to feed us. Wouldn't it be because it weighs less? No. no. No? I would think it's heavier because no. of all the batteries. Batteries, that skateboard. And the electric motors. Yeah, but it's on the same platform as a regular vehicle, right? Ish. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm past the point of carrying. Hey, GM is going <laughs> to build a, an electric pickup uh, for Nikola under our partnership. GM has invested $2 
billion with a B billion. No wonder why we don't get our black in electric truck maker engine. Nikola. Uh, What's that called? Corporation. The you're thinking of the Blackwing. Blackwing. I almost said Blackwood. I knew that wasn't right, but no, that's Blackwing. Is that, that why we don't get our Blackwing engine? Because they're going to do a freaking electric truck. The, the Blackwood was that crappy pickup that Lincoln built. For yeah, two that's years. right. Uh, under the agreement, <laughs> GM will build the Nikola Badger. They're going to call it a badger oh my god an mm. electric and fuel cell hybrid pickup plan for production in late 2022 do i get to be the first one to say it <laughs> badgers we don't, we need, don't need no stinking badgers, badgers. Oh uh, nicola will facilitate sales and marketing for the badger and retain the oh. nicola badger brand using a gm factory resources people and supply chain will save nicola billions allowing nicola to come to market more quickly badger production should be in the tens of thousands per year but nicola and gm will reevaluate according to demand badger production was originally slated for 2021 but was pushed back to late 2022 because 2020 <laughs> that thing better be a honey badger because it's gonna have a hell of a fight you know honey badger don't give it <laughs> yeah that's exactly right <laughs> that's funny they say they're, they're gonna save nickel uh, billions you know how much about two billion yeah 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 <laughs> right there uh, uh, well, all right. You know what? I, it is I'm more than here, one. I'm pooping on it, but let, let's see what happens. I you did know, see a picture of it. It looked actually one of the better looking. Yeah, electric it's not trucks. that bad looking. So. It's a little bit better looking than the Rivian, my personal opinion. Yeah, I but by it. God, unless you're going to bring that mutant Tron looking some bitch that, yes. that Tesla rolled out, don't even bother. <laughs> yeah. You know they're talking about scaling uh, that down because it won't fit in a garage. It won't fit in a garage. Yeah, it's too big. Too tall or too wide or just all of it? Yes. Bit of both. Oh, damn. I want my stupid Cybertron truck. Uh, I guess you're just going to have to knock out the dining room and... uh, F it. (laughs) You can have it, but they're going to build it in like 7-8 scale. There you go, buddy. Speaking of something not electric. Uh, Road and Track has uh, come out with a nice little article about Aston Martin building a jaw-dropping Vantage Tribute based on the uh, 177. It it is a cool-looking car. It is um, a very, very very cool-looking car. Uh, Called the Victor... Um, like I said, like I said, it was based on the company's 177 supercar from 2011. Uh, the Victor is propelled by a naturally aspirated 7.3 liter V12, Jesus. Wow. 848 horsepower without turbos. That's right. Or supercharger. That's right. Or, or, or electric power or nit- Yeah, that's right. Or 606 foot pounds of torque. It just comes that way. That's a giant. But here's the cool 12. thing about it. It's got a six-speed manual transmission, uh-huh. and it's got the coolest little linkage that shows you the interior of this car is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and basically, to run it, I mean, they actually have to. Uh, it needs um, dedicated coolers, two of them for yeah. the, for the for the transmission, just to run this this manual I'm and a custom a, motorsport clutch to handle all the power. Yeah, I'm guessing that's a heavy stinking clutch. Uh, you would think, yeah, but, would. but nowadays technology, you never know. Never know. Okay. Uh, six-way adjustable suspension uses inboard springs and dampers from Aston's track-only Vulcan. Uh, the body itself is all carbon fiber, uh, <laughs> painted in a color called Petland Green. Pentland. Pentland. Okay. I, I didn't Pentland put the end Green. Pentland. If you say so. Well, the, yeah. pic- the pictures all kind of look black. Maybe yeah, they did. Computer. I thought they were all really... I didn't know it was green either, to be honest. It must be super, super dark. Oh, wow. And then there's some up-close pictures of it, and it's like really green. Yeah. Is it really? It's like green McGreen. Somebody's going to have to help the colorblind kids. There's definitely more <laughs> green on the inside. Like it's a different kind of color green on the inside. Uh, multicolors. Uh, inside, the driver it's is greeted green. by a custom carbon fiber dash with a Vulcan-esque 
race-inspired steering wheel. Yeah, you're not going to be able to use that in shift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd be good. You look at that thing. That, that's that's a half a steering wheel. It looks like somebody stole it out of the original Batmobile. Cool. <laughs> that makes me want it even more. As long as Goose is in the uh, passenger side. Center locking wheels, high carbon ceramic Brembo brakes. Of course. So that's awesome. I mean, you got that much power, you need to stop good. Uh-huh. Uh the, uh the name is the tribute to Victor. Is it Gauntlet? Gauntlet. That just sounds cool. <laughs> Mr. Gauntlet. I am Victor. Do you, that, that sounds do like Do you have should, f- uh, six stones that go inside you? That sh- sounds like it should be a, an evil Infinite? genius name. My name is, is Gaunt- Victor Gauntlet. He must be. must be. Um, <laughs> and and he, apparently, because since he's a former boss of Aston Martin, I'm assuming he's British. Yes, I would so, think. So, I mean, what makes a better villain than a cool name with the British accent? I'm Victor Gauntlet. This is my supercar. There you go. And he, oh, and he got Lockjaw, too. Uh, really? <laughs> <laughs> you and no stupid Mustang. But he was, a, he was the boss. He was the boss. He was in charge when the original Vantage uh, made his debut, which is what a lot of the, the looks of this, the way the headlights are on the Dude, grill. 7.3 liter. Yeah, V12. That, is a, that is a massive V12. That's big. Yeah. That's I, I would I would hope it was on that kind of power, that kind of big V twelve. But it's it's super cool. Uh, I like it, man. I think it looks really awesome. It's the coolest thing I've seen since. It's Austin a one off they made. They, yeah, yeah, that's right. There's only one off. That's right. It's only one of them. One off they made for a customer. Want to take a stab at what that sucker ran? Because they didn't say in the yeah. Article, I, but, I haven't heard anything about it either. I'm going to guess at least a hundred bucks. Uh, I think you're pretty safe. I think yeah. At least no. I mean, what do you think? I mean, how many millions do you suppose this is? It's got to be in the millions, right? It's got to be like four or five. I mean, well, how much is the Vulcan? Because they only made a couple of them. I don't know. I don't have any idea. It's so far out of Good my price Lord. range, I didn't even bother to pay attention. Maybe that's why, uh, yeah. Well, well, I, I guess I'm Corey, you would one. like it for all the ground effects. The fact that it's got a bunch of the this kind of swoopy stuff around the bottom that I don't understand the use of. You're a but it looks guy. really cool. What, just because I'm younger, I like ground effects? Is that what well, you're trying yeah, to say? You like ring, why, ring why cars, Why are you trying to be you? like that, huh? Yeah. yeah no, no. You, Actually, no. I think that if, if, the, if they make a purpose, the ground effects are awesome. If they're just there for looks, then I think they need to go away. I still think it looks like the next gen Mustang. Does. I knew you were gonna say that. It does. It looks like a. It, I don't know about that one. If my but, grandma left the Mustang nah. on the dashboard and let it melt, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think what it is because when I first was kind of looking at it, the back end and the side, doesn't look like that to me per se. But when they opened up the door and the interior, you're like, okay, that's nothing Ford ever produced. Well, the other thing about it is, uh, if you go back and you look at the old Aston Martin V8 Vantages, mm-hmm. if you go back and look at the old '70s V8 Vantages, it does have lots of design cues lifted right from that. It does, and you forget the whole Mustang thing altogether. Yeah, once you. You see that i think that's that's what it was because i because i immediately saw they had the old picture of like one of the old ones uh there as well and so when i saw that and then went to that I'm like oh my god so i never even thought mustang in my mind yeah. but i see where you guys are coming from i do yeah doesn't mean i have to agree with you but no. i see where you're coming from another one from road and track uh maserati is trying to build a supercar uh again sort of thing. well yeah that's what they do isn't it at so, least they didn't bother to call it a bi-turbo <laughs> oh, I thought they did. After a long hiatus focus, I mean, basically, they'd be, just be doing luxury cars, and then they got an SUV, and they got a four-door car, and they got all these things, um, basically, uh, with engines all deprived from Ferrari and stuff, getting the lower horsepower versions of what Ferrari has, all the cool stuff. Well, this is going to change, because this, called the MC20, is powered by a twin-turbo V6 using a new ignition system, allows it to burn fuel more efficiently, generates more power at higher speeds, but... It's a Maserati production engine. Uh, company's coming back to the grid now and not under the same corporate umbrella as Ferrari. So I guess oh. with that saying, they had to make their own engine. First time in 15 years that they've made a new supercar. It absolutely is. Uh, this is a 621 horsepower 
538 foot-pounds of torque. The power is managed by an eight-speed dual-clutch transmission. Oh, uh, it's a rear-wheel drive only. So, but still, even with only a rear-wheel drive, under three under three seconds, zero to sixty. Dang! So that thing hooks up. Uh, two, now here's the thing: 202 mile per hour top speed. Does that really ring supercar to you in nowadays terms? Not really. Now in terms, I mean, that's nothing. I mean, we got road cars. I mean, the, we got the fact that it's a sub three seconds, zero to sixty. That's getting there, and the fact that it's 202, you know, that's getting to be more common, but... It just doesn't seem as impressive, though, to be called it a supercar. But, you know, either way, hey, if that gets them back in, it could be very cool. I've not seen what this thing's going to look like. Have you? Yeah, I have. It's got butterfly doors on it. It's kind of cool looking. Ooh, it's pretty. The thing that gets me about this is Maserati has had an awful long time to bring out their own version of a supercar. Yep. And... They've had all the resources of Ferrari and Fiat at their fingers to be able to do this. Yeah, but do you think their hands were tied by Ferrari? Because heaven forbid they build a better or faster car than them. If they were under the same umbrella, which now this one's not going to be under that. So no, that this, I, I this get, gives I them get, a little bit. I get what you're saying, and I don't disagree. Yeah. But uh, limited slip diff, double wishbone suspension, all the cool stuff you'll find in a supercar. 3306, 3,306 pounds is what this thing's weigh. So not the lightest car, but not that is super surprising heavy either. for the size of that thing that it's going to be that heavy. Well, you know, uh, you start all the stuff you got to have now. You got to have safe troopers. You got to have crumple zones. You got to have airbags. You got to have all that other crap. And I'm sure that the Maserati has to have all that stuff too. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to sell it here. And you know, if you're selling cars for big money, the U.S. is going to be your prime. Perhaps, target, I perhaps nowadays that's a reasonable weight for this kind of car with all that stuff that, you, that Brett was talking about, all the safety equipment. All that New stuff. Corvettes are close to 3,500. So there you go, lighter than a vet. Probably lighter, it's lighter than the bigger uh, Lamborghinis and stuff too. So. Well, yeah. It's going to be really sexy when they bring out the drop top because oh, 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 oh. uh, convertible, that thing. Convertible. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not talking a whole lot about the, the options and stuff, so it doesn't say anything about like wheel options, Kregers perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try to talk Nothing pretty like to me. That. So, Boy, I mean, you, you really walked that limb to get to him, didn't you? <laughs> wow, man. He was gone for a week, comes back ready to kick you in the junk. Uh, no, I'm all good. Nah. I put Craigers on it in a heartbeat. Well, there it is. Yeah, a Maserati uh, supercar, I guess, is going to come out uh, with a possible... I don't really care. I'm going to talk too much about it. A battery yeah. electric. Who had one 24 in the future, minutes so. for a show going off the rails? <laughs> yeah. But there you go. Um, well, that's could be cool. Hard to say. No pricing information yet, no, so we really don't know on that either, got, or really a release date on that matter. But I'm I'm sure it will be awesome, at least uh, for a little bit. Snow Victor. Yeah. <laughs> it's no Mustang, man. <laughs> Our special guest this week is Gary Wales, the visionary builder of extraordinary customs with a fantasy bent. Gary will be here to discuss his history in the automotive world, where he gets his amazing ideas, and is uh, his. Buick Wide Job Replica oh, dude, that, just... that was recently up for sale. Oh. You know what the cool part is about that? It's a Buick Wide Job. <laughs> well, it's a it's a Wide Job Replica. It's got all that, but it's LS powered and modern suspension and brakes underneath. So you've got okay. all that cool and modern drivetrain. Okay, Very see, cool I didn't know stuff. all that. So by looking at that car, the thing drives probably better than it looks even. Dude, but it's it, ridiculous. I mean, is that t- like, like, let me say, it drives as good as it looks. Let me put it that way. Yeah, and I've seen it up close. It looks stunning. Yes. Anyway, Gary will be here with us in just a minute. Coming up on Driven Radio. Welcome back to Driven Radio, the sweetest smelling podcast on the web. Our guest this week is 
Well, if the car world had a world's most interesting man, it would likely be Gary Wales. Amen. Gary is a collector, builder, restorer, dreamer, and automotive expert. He's been involved with the Rolls-Royce and Bentley Club for many years, participating in tours, concours, events, and more. He's owned some of the most iconic automobiles ever built, including a 1962 Ferrari 250 GTO bread van and a 1947 Mark, a Bentley Mark IV Frenet Drophead Coupe. Gary is well known for taking old derelict vehicles and building period customs and recreations of magnificent quality and attention to detail. I can attest to this personally, having seen a couple of his creations at uh, Concord on the Avenue during Monterey Car Week. Gary and his magnificent creations have won trophies at Pebble Beach, uh, Concord d'Elegance, appeared multiple times at the Carmel Carmel Concours on the Avenue, the Quail, and had multiple appearances on Jay Leno's Garage. Gary is known for his motto, everything in excess, nothing in moderation. (laughs) Men have trailed hearts. By God, yeah, I love him already. (laughs) Gary, welcome to Driven Radio. I'm I'm glad to be here, but my head has swelled up so much that it'll take me a minute. We'll probably have a voice lag. (laughs) Well, well, thank God you own a lot of convertibles. That works. Uh, If you can, give us a peek into your background, your history, and your life with cars. How did you get hooked on cars? Well, that's kind of a funny story. Uh, I used to be a singer, and uh, I uh, had gotten out of the Army. Yeah, I was in special services, and I got out of the Army, and I came back to Detroit, which at the time was a marvelous city. It was called the the Paris of the Midwest. It really was. The buildings, and this was where a lot of the money was, all the automotive money was. And uh, so they all played the game of can you top this? One would dedicate a church on the next block. Now Chrysler would do one, and then Ethel Ford would do one. <laughs> I mean, the place was just unbelievable. And in different buildings and everything. So anyway, uh, I'm, I'm home, and a friend of mine, uh, said, uh, uh, what are you doing? I said, well, I want to go down to the Bobolo boat and do a little singing down there. And he said, well, look, he said, I have this friend of mine has this lady friend and I think you'd like to meet her. She's really kind of a cool lady. I went, well, okay. <laughs> I figured, well, what the heck have I got to lose? So, uh, I called her and invited her and I went and picked her up and I had a 57 Buick at the time and, uh, we drove down to the, Bob Lowe boat. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're a big three double decker monster boat that would go out down the St. Clair River, Detroit River, and go out around Canada, around Bob Lowe Island, which was kind of like a uh, carnival place. But it would, they would just take the boat around and everybody was singing and having a hell of a time. And I'm, I'm doing like what most people do. You drink a little too much. And I'm trying to impress this girl. Anyhow, we get in the car, we're heading home, and of course, I crashed the car. Doh! Uh-oh. Yep. Uh, so that night, coming home on the bus from the hospital, <laughs> we're both banged up. I'm feeling just like what I was, a stupid idiot, and I'm trying to put it off on the car. And I said, well, if the car had handled better, uh, that wouldn't have happened. She said, no problem, she said. <laughs> He said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take you. If you, I'll, since you don't have a car, I'll pick you up in the morning. I have a girlfriend, her boyfriend has this wonderful car, and he wants to sell it. And it'll handle pretty good. I said, oh, well, what am I going to say? So I go over with her, and out in front of the house, this guy is, you have to picture it, the visual. The guy is in one of those 
gray blue jumpsuits from the Air Force, and he's polishing a fire engine red Allard L4 with an Andy Granatelli Hemi engine in it. Oh my God! Now I fell in love with that damn car instantly. <laughs> it was yes. like it's mine. Yeah, I've got to have it. <laughs> and incidentally, kind of with, with the lady too. We were married for over a little over fifty years. She passed a few years ago. Aww. But yeah, but you know, it was an amazing thing. And I instantly, because she was the car person, I wasn't. I was a singer. What do I know about automobiles? You know, uh, and, and it never stopped, and it's just gotten worse over the years. And let me tell you, it doesn't get any better. I mean, you just keep going. You co- and I collect. I can't stop collecting bars, bums, armor, car badges. You name it. If it's, if I got two of them, that's cool. But if I got three, that's the beginning of a collection. Doesn't matter what it is. Be math book, <laughs> old bird dogs, whatever. I, I'm, I'm into it. So that's how basically I got into the cars. And one other little incident happened that when I was like 12, I got my first shot at a car, you know, to really get kind of get interested in them. And that kind of stayed in the back of my mind. My class went to Greenfield Village and it coincided with the Rolls-Royce Owners Club having their Grand National. And we walked in there, and the kids, they say, you got to be back in, in an hour. Okay. And I spotted this car, man, and I was gobsmacked. It was the most unbelievable thing I'd ever seen. I'm over there drooling all over the fenders and everything else, and finally this old guy comes up to me, holder of the car. He might have been 35. <laughs> <laughs> and he took the time, about 20 minutes, with me showing me everything and talking to me and got me really interested. And, I mean, what a nice guy. And I'll never forget his name because he was Jack Frost. The man <laughs> oh, who wow. did the windows in the wintertime. That was Jack Frost. And fast forward 20 years, I'm in a Rolls Grand National meet. And lo and behold, there's Jack Frost. He was quite a well-known character by then. And I went up to him and I said, Mr. Frost, I said, you're partially the reason that I'm into cars. And when I get into something, I'm head over heels. I, you know, it's everything in excess, nothing in moderation. And he remembered me. Oh, and that's so cool. Consequently, so consequently, I make it a point to talk to just everybody. I never leave my cars when I'm showing. Only time I go is maybe to get a drink or go to the bog. But I love to talk to the people. You never know who the hell you're going to meet. <laughs> and that is what it's all about. It's the people. And especially the young kids and the young guys and gals. And we, I get talking to them. And maybe I can get them interested and make their life productive and wonderful as mine was. And has been and is and will continue to be from the automobile. And you've got to talk to people. And you meet the most interesting people and you learn the greatest things. So that's how I got into it. So what was your first restoration or your first build? That Allard. <laughs> I played with it. <laughs> around and I, I'll tell you a funny one. I didn't know dick doodle about anything. and I, But I knew I had this beautiful Hemi Fire Dome V8 all done by Danny Granite. I mean, it went like the wind. But it, I, I saw a chrome-plated distributor cap, and I went, my God, I'll put that on the car. So I put it on the car. 
I want the light to curve. Bing, bada, bing, bada, bing, bada, oh, bing, God. Bing, bing. I just stuffed in the hole. I didn't know you had to oh. put it in. The- <laughs> <laughs> and it sounded like it had a, a bellyache or something. <laughs> oh, man. Was I, that was my first... That is so familiar. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not a hell of a lot better now. <laughs> now you've owned some really spectacular iconic cars. Um, I'm wondering if you have a favorite, and also well, I'm I'm dying for you to tell me uh, or tell us about that 47 Bentley. It was a Frenet Frenet Bentley, and it was actually it was the 1947. They're a show car, and it had, you know, it really had de- deteriorated a lot. And I had now. I, this is another story because everything has a, a, a lead in on it. Uh-huh. Uh, I was at one of the local bookshops, but this fellow by the name of Harry Morrow, and he was an old car guy, and he got into the car books. And we'd all go to Burbank and go into his place. You could get a book on anything. You could learn anything. But I got talking to Harry, and we became kind of friends. And Harry liked to nip on a little booze once in a while. So I'd go down there with a pint or a quart or something rather, and uh, he'd get very mellow, and he'd give me books, and we would, you know, back and forth all. And while I'm in the store talking to Harry, we hear some guys out in front saying, well, Pinafarina is the most exotic of all cars. And I said, no, 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 it was, you know, this one and that one. I couldn't stand it anymore. I said, I've pulled out, and I said, have you guys ever heard of Fagoni Falashi? or Frenet, or any of the Benzo Mitterrand, anything? And they said, huh? <laughs> and there was an old guy sitting in there, and he said, hey, buddy, he said, I had a, 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 a Fagoni Flashy Calvo Lago. In fact, it was one of the last six ever built, and it was done in 47. And the man in the, the local Cadillac dealer out here in California had bought all six cars. Ooh. And brought him back. Brought him back to L.A. Well, one of them, he hated the little gearbox in there with a total electric gearbox with a little finger shift. It was a pain in the butt. So he said, "I'll fix that." And he took a brand new forty-seven Cadillac, took the engine, transmission, uh, tail everything, and moved all of that stuff up and put it in this Fagoni Falashi Cabolago. Well, this is the car that this fellow had gotten. He said, I was driving through Watt, and he said, I saw this fire engine red thing sitting out in front of this joint with dual gas pumps and an old guy out there working on the car. And he I said, I stopped and did a 180 and about just crashed myself and went over and said, you know whose car that is? He said, sure, it's my car. And I said, anyhow, one thing led to another. And he bought the car and he hired a kid to help him take this car apart and he spent the whole year taking it apart and putting them in boxes and doing everything else and he worked so hard that his wife divorced him. <laughs> <laughs> he had to sell the damn car oh. for the settlement. Part of the settlement. Oh my God. And, and nobody wanted it because it was eight million pieces. Uh-huh. The only thing that was together were the two front fenders. <laughs> so anyway, he went back and sold it to the guy that he bought it from. He bought it. And so... I said, do you wonder, I wonder if that guy still got it. He said, well, maybe, I don't know. And for six months, I schmoozed this guy. So finally he came over. We got kind of drunk, talked and everything. And I said, you know, look, it's worth 500 bucks to me if you can just find it. And he said, well, what the hell? Well, let's go out and look for it. 
And we and he said, you know what? He said, I like the anyway. He said, so if we find it, you can just have it if you'll restore. I said, sure, absolutely. Just what I wanted him to say. Oh my God! So yes. we drive out. We go to what? And we drive for about three hours. We went through that whole place, man. You know, it was really an amazing drive to begin with. And we and finally said, I, I can't, can't remember where it. I can't remember where it's at. And then he went, wait, this looks familiar. The street. And he turns down it, and here are two visible gas pumps, and a guy out in front of the damn place working on an old car. He says, My God, it's the same guy. We get out. And he starts talking, we start talking to the guy, and he said, you don't happen to have that car. Oh, yes, I do. He said, it's so, he says, it's about a block and a half from here in my office. Can we go look at it? He said, sure. So we get in the car, you the address, we get in the car, we go over there, and he says it's in the garage. Well, only problem was the garage had collapsed. Oh, no, no. Collapsed on top of the car. However... We look on the back porch, the screened-in back porch, and here are these two giant blue fenders now sitting there in the porch, and they're not got a scratch on them. And hell, that's a half the car is the two front fenders, <laughs> fenders. all the way to the back, <laughs> and they're all over. So anyway, I go over there and I, I get negotiated with the guy. I gotta have the car. No, I don't want to sell. It. I'm gonna fix. It. I said you're 75 years old. You're never gonna do it. You haven't done it in 30 years. Well, you know. Eh. Okay, he'll sell it, and I, he gives me a price, and I went, ah, ah that's way too much for this. You know, three thousand dollars. It's way too much, way too much for this thing. And uh, we take off, and we're about just about home. And I'm thinking, am I out of my mind? Am I have I totally lost it? <laughs> we around, go back, and I said, it's mine, and I give the guy the money. So the next day, I go back with three of my friends, and we physically take the garage apart and get the car out. And it's really not damaged at all, too much at all. And the main thing, the fenders are there, and it's got a big smiley face. It's an unbelievable-looking car. So anyhow, I take it home, and with a friend of mine, we restored the damn car with the Cadillac <laughs> engine in it, the automatic engine and everything else in it, and we painted electric blue and I put a Gucci interior which means tan leather and in the center I put the green and red Gucci stripes. Oh my god. So it was my Gucci interior. It was it was kinda wild. We drive the damn thing. We and I did everything on the car with the exception everybody said, No, you don't want to mess with the brakes, you mess with the brakes, it's blah 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 and I went, <laughs> Okay, we won't mess with the brakes. So natural and and the top wheels where they were chrome spoke wheels and they had to have chrome done again, put new spokes in it. And I had it done by a guy on, on in Santa Monica named Barani. And the guy, instead of grinding all the spokes on the hub when he was done, he just he just cut them off with some clippers and then put two hundred mile an hour tape around that. Anyhow, <laughs> oh, now, oh my god. My friend little John Engelhart who and his wife Get in the back seat. I'm in the front seat with my wife. We take off, and we're going to drive from Woodland Hills to Carmel. Well, that's about a 350-mile run. We get in the car. We get up near Santa Barbara, and it goes, and I have a flat tire. And this Now, you have to understand, this is an enormously long car, and the overhang is absolutely unbelievable, and the thing literally almost dropped to the ground on the left side. <laughs> and I got off the side of the road, and then I get out and I hitchhike and I go get a tow truck 
and 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 while I'm out of it, I had the guy stop, and we I got uh, kits for for uh, doing the tires and uh, you know, all everything I could get. I bought a jack, didn't even have a spare wheel with me. <laughs> what the hell? I had brand new tires and you know wheels. So we came totally unprepared. Anyhow, by the time we got to Carmel, we had had thirteen flat tires. <laughs> <laughs> but we got so good at changing tires, we could have it done in 10 minutes. Yeah, I bet you Last, did. <laughs> oh, the, oh, the first time, it's really funny. The first time in Santa Barbara, when the guy drives me back, and he looked at the car, and he says, holy crap. He said, you're lucky you didn't have two flat tires. He no more got out of his mouth than the car went, boom. <laughs> and it laid down in the back on the ground. Went, oh, my God. It was going into the tubes. So each time we'd stop, we had, I had a file, we had to get a file, we'd file the things, and then we would wrap them again and hit them with hammers and feed them in and put tubes. I mean, it was unbelievable. It looked like a patch kit. So now that's the tubes. So as we pull off of Freckles Road and go on to, to head into Carmel, I hit the foot, put my foot on the brakes, and the brake pedal goes to the floor. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> the brake expert had put the two pedals, the pegs, the, the rod together with a nut in the very middle of them. And that's what was holding it. It came loose and it fell off. Oh, God. And, and we're only going about 25 miles an hour. And we jumped out. I jumped out on the no! driver's side. And my friend, little John, on the backside. And we're pulling this thing, burning our feet. There's smoke coming off of our shoes. <laughs> we finally got it off the side of the and we repaired it we fixed it you know and that was that was our trip there now here's the best part we take it to the races well that saturday is lauren tryon and jules human who are the, the, the men that present the pebble beach concordia elegance they go down to the races and they pick a car just to put on the field you know help the, the poor people i guess we won the nod <laughs> Lauren just loved this car. Mr. Tryon loved the car. So we are taking, we have taken it now up to Pebble Beach, where, and it was a year where everything hadn't rained for a month and a half, and it certain dust and things and everything, but we parked us up on the top of the hill. And, you know, our car wasn't eligible to be in Pebble Beach by a long shot. No wrong engine, wrong everything. But it was so cool, and Lauren loved it. So and we stole a lot of thunder with that car. And he, you know, it was just a wonderful weekend. So that's how I got that. Now, a little fast, a little, he said to me, Gary, would you be interested in trading this car? I know you're a Bentley guy. And I said, well, I, I, I don't know. What do you have? And he says, well, I have this car. It was the 47 Paris show car. It's called the Frenet Bentley, B2OBH. All cars, Rolls Royce and Bentley are known by their serial numbers. So there's absolutely no doubt whatever it is like GMO 7, whatever. Okay. I said, I'd be interested. I see it, and it's it's unbelievable car. But it needs absolutely everything. The guy, why, why he really wanted to get rid of it is because the guy had re-put new wood in the thing, and he put it in all wrong. Oh, he had, no. I traded straight across for my my Gucci interior Cadillac <laughs> powered Sony Palashi Talbo. I had it for 10 years. I researched this car. Then, I won't get into all the details, but anyhow, 
I, we got it all finished, and in 1991, I took it back, took the Pebble Beach, and we came in. I don't know what the hell you would want to call it. Mr. Tryon, Lauren Tryon, got up and announced three different times, and after we'd won the French Cup and were lined up with two different cars to go up for best of show, they're going to pick best of show. And we missed it, and he got up and he said, Mr. Wales has missed the best of show at Pebble Beach by the smallest margin in the history of, of the Concord. And he Ooh. did that three different times. Now, you have to realize that post-war cars are deducted point compared to a pre-war. As long as there's a pre-war car that can possibly win, the pre-war car gets the nod. Well, we came as close as it anybody ever had. And uh, that was the story of the Frenet. Then a fellow by the name of Bob Gathercall, who was W.O. Bentley's godson, was there and he said, Mr. Wales, he said, I'd like to take this to Essen, Germany, the motor show Essen, and then to Paris, and and he said, I'll be glad to pay for you and your wife, pay you per diem. I said, what the hell? Here we're done. So we were <laughs> going all over the world with the car. They insured it for a, a fortune. And by the way, I had, when we restored it, I did what I started doing. I improved on perfection. Uh, W.O. Bentley and C.S. Rolls and, uh, and Mr. Royce had a thing that if you could improve on perfection, which is how they both of these guys started their businesses, they made what was there better. In Rolls-Royce case, they made them, them, them silent, and the loudest thing on that whole car was the clock. <laughs> and they could they could they would drive three thousand miles non kind of stops just long enough to get gas in third gear and crazy things like that. They, they want everything. So this was a hell of a time I had with that car. And I cut off the windshield. It was just two straight posts that went up with a flat one screen. I cut it off and I put in a, a center post, moved it forward a couple inches, did it up, made all new chrome uh uh, windows, frames and everything that would open and close. That was my air conditioning, British air conditioning. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of more chrome and we just, we did everything that Fogoni Falashi or Frenet, which was the coach builder for this one, would have done if they'd have had the time and the imagination. But they were doing it for like, we need the car now, so they would do what they had to do. And since it was French, it painted it black, and I put frog skin in it. I found frog skin in the Philippines, and the little squares, and I said it was like you know, a couple thousand frogs. Put his frog skin interior. Kermit the upholsterer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, we had a hell of a time. But it did come in a, a, a three foot wide roll, twenty feet long. You know, with, with the little squares, they'd all put it together. They, everybody thought I was sitting there saying, hey. That's that a lot of amphibians. wear very well. I said, you don't get it, pal. I don't care if it lasts a month. The cool. idea I'm putting frog skin in there. Why? Because the car is French car, you dummy. I, we, were, we were in Paris, have, and it got judged. And a French judge comes up to me and says, Mon ami, I did not understand the significance of the little amphibians. And they went, oh, my God, they don't know we call them frogs because they eat frogs? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had more than fun with that thing you can imagine. Unbelievable. So that was it. Now, then, in 
on uh, April Fool's Day, 2006. I've had the car now 27 years. We put it up at Barrett Jackson in Palm Beach, Florida, and I also have made a copy of the Blue Train 6.5-liter Bentley, and I supercharged it in the front. And we also had my Bentley Royal, which was, was an old Rolls Race chassis, but I put two Phantom 4 straight 8 engines in it, one front, one back, Oof. with an, uh, a special transmission we found in Nova Scotia, Halifax, Nova Scotia, experimental Bentley transmission. Put that on it, and I had a radiator in the front and a radiator behind the back seat. And it was all timed in because I had two engines. I Hell, I had to have two radiators to keep it cool. These are, it was uh, two six-liter engines, so it's 12 liters, 16 cylinders. I mean, it was, and it geared together. It was, it was a wrath of God to sound, but it never overheated. It went like a bat out of hell, and people would just go miles. And now with that one, I put elephant hide on the roof. <laughs> of course you did. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, what the hell, doesn't everybody? <laughs> we did that elephant hide. And, and uh, we had a hell of a time with that one. And I see how the auction goes on, and I sell four cars. And this was, you know, I'm just a poor dummy. And we got a million seven for it. So I rang the bell, and that allowed me to continue to do exactly what I had done for, since uh, when I moved out to California in 67, I had been out. I was an old stockbroker. And I was, in fact, I was the last guy ever with only a high school education that became a stockbroker, New York stockbroker. But I hated it because it was kind of a eh, crummy business as far as I was concerned because, you, you know, you was, all you were interested in is making money. And, you know, you're screwing some poor old people. I couldn't do it. Yeah. So I finally came home and said to my wife, I retired. She said, what do you mean retire? You can't retire. We have no money. The house isn't paid for. I said, are you working? She said, yeah. I said, I retired. She says, okay. <laughs> so I went out and washed cars and cut lawns and did all that crap. But your thing is, when you do something like that, you, you make enough money to survive, but you're there to hear about certain deals that you wouldn't hear about because you're working hard someplace else and you can't take time to do this stuff. I did. So I've been very, very lucky. So I haven't worked for 50 years. I retired 50 years ago when I was broke. <laughs> wow. now, the history of the Frenet, it sold again two and a half years later for two and a half million. And I'm holding the record for the most expensive post-war Rolls Royce or Bentley pre-owned in the history of the world. And a year and a half ago, Carlos Slim from Mexico, the telecommunications guy, spent four million plus for it. Nice. So I still hold the record in that and about three dollars and sixty two cents will get me a cup of coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> well Gary, I think we'd characterize you as a lot of things. Dumb is not a one of them. <laughs> uh yeah, and I've seen. I'm probably blowing your whole program just telling you stupid stories. But that's all I got is stupid stories. I can go on yeah, for four but, days. But that is the whole point of the show. Is you're at the right place, buddy. You are in the right place. Yeah. We we live for these car stories. I've seen some of your work at Monterey the last few years when I've been there. Now, of course, not this year, but uh, before then. And your builds look like the stuff of absolute fantasy they are so cool and you do you have such amazing attention to detail 
first of all, you can't help but smile when you see one of your cars. They are just That's exactly what I designed them to do. They and are, if you smile, I got you. <laughs> yeah, yes. you got me you got me pal uh where do you yeah. get your inspiration for these and what drives you to do this kind of work well first of all i do it on old american france fire truck engines and the reason for that is up until 1930 they were chain drive and right hand drive and the reason they were right hand drive people said wait a minute this is a left hand country well fire trucks would be sold to anybody, and I use American La France, basically, which were like the Model T Ford for fire trucks. Then the next would be Seagraves on top of that, you know, other better mates. But these were the ones that adapted most for, for what I wanted to do was my salute to the great old racing cars of the heroic age. Back to 1900, the beginning of 1900, 1910, 15, that type of thing. There were huge, humongous cars twin chain drive, but the reason I use these things is because a fire truck cost at that time comparable to about a quarter of a million dollars. What they do now, it just was different times. A nickel was a, a lot of money, then when it became a dime, then a quarter, then a dollar, two dollars, five dollars. So a quarter of a million dollars is what that 10000 represented back in 1910, 12, 15. So they were designed, built, and built to last a hundred years, this was American pride. It's not like they do today. This was American pride. My God, we make this thing to last. It, it, it will. Even when they, we, I find them back east where they're rotted out. Sit in the woods for 50 years, I bought them. And you can always make them run because, first of all, the engines are never dead. They may be used a little bit, but when I say a little bit, they may have 10,000 miles on them in a hundred years. Sure. They only took them out when they actually needed them. And I only used the chassis and the engine, and they're easy to make run. They're 900 cubic inches, 14 liters, oh six-cylinder, 24 plugs on some of them. You know, you got uh, 12 on the Magneto, 12 on the Disturbing. Oh, hell, it looks wonderful. On uh, one, I even put uh, uh, an extra six plugs in there, wires. People are like, oh, what the hell is that? 30 plugs? <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, it's, it's, it's a great deal, and I'm able to salvage these cars. And these, these trucks are, have saved lives, property. They're, they're really special things. And so I want them to save these. They deserve a better life than to be broken up and destroyed. So I turned them into works of mobile art, and they're bigger than life. They're 16, eight, I mean, 18 to 20 feet long. You're sitting seven feet in the air generally or more. And so nobody misses me when I come in. And if they do, I hit the siren. <laughs> so we blow them away. And you get two reactions. And made a little screw. Two reactions from the competitors. Oh, Jesus, H. That's so and so here with that thing. And the one from the people, look at that, Roy. Oh, my God. I get crowds. And I win all the time. Because it makes people smile they and do. happy. They absolutely the one you do. Saw, yeah, the one you saw is, I call it Rusty 2. Well, its brother, Rusty 1, was an old fire truck, and it was in Sacramento. And he, it, it, about 1960, I guess, it became redundant, and they didn't even bother taking it to the scrapyard. They took the hoses and the bell and a few things that are value off and pushed it out in the woods, and the trees grew around it. Anyhow, fast forward, you know, 
50 years, 40, 40 years or so, the uh, couple of old firemen hear about this thing sitting out in the woods, been in the woods for over 50 years. And they hear about a fire truck, and they said, we can't let an old historical fire truck go to hell out there. So they went out and spent half a day and found it. They had to cut 21 trees down <laughs> to get it out. Dang. They put it on a trailer, and they're bringing it home, and they're so proud, and one said to the other, hey, uh, Bruce, he said, uh, we'll take it over to you. I said, oh, no, we won't. My wife would kill me. I said, well, my wife killed me, too. I said, well, then let's call that idiot in L.A. He'll buy anything. <laughs> I raised my hand, so I made a donation to the fireman fund, and I got this thing. But the hood that was on it had Sausalito Fire Department SFD, and you could barely make it out through the rust. Well, I look at things a little different than most people. Most people look at rust as their enemy. I look at it as my friend. So what I did, I said, I can't let that rust go to you know, I can't destroy that patina. This is just too good. So I took some soft pads, and I got all the loose rust off of them, and I started clear-coating it. And it came out absolutely gorgeous, as you saw. Yes, it did. And then we did the whole car, fenders and all the stuff. We, we made these things, and we did it. And that's called Rusty One. Then the one I, I had bought four fenders from a friend of mine from an old Mercedes-Benz that went almost three-quarters around the wheel. I mean, it was the darndest thing I ever saw. I cut them in half. So each car had two fenders cut in half, one front, one in back. And I added a little aluminum piece on each of the fenders. And that's how I got Rusty. I did Rusty One. What the hell? I'll do Rusty Two. I still got two fenders left. So that's where they came from. And they're probably the most popular of almost any of them, other than Batmobile. Well, they're all popular. Yeah. But I sure love doing it. And it's, I love to blow people's minds. I really do. When you pull up in there and people say, oh, my God, will you look at that? I get a crowd every time. We went up to uh, Carmel this year. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think you ran into a mutual friend of ours, Cindy Meidel. Yeah. Oh, Cindy, of course. So Absolutely. Lovely lady. She, Good friend. Yes, she is. So how many Labistioni cars have there been? Uh, we've done seven. We're doing eight right now. We're doing the Beast of Turin, which is going to be the wildest thing you have ever seen. Put doodle on all the other ones. This is really wild. And it's my salute to the 1910-11 car Fiat. The S76 that, can you imagine, it is... 28 and a half liters, four cylinder. What? <laughs> Those are five gallon buckets for distance. Oh, it's running today. They run it at Goodwood. <laughs> Look at a, the beast of Turin. That's awesome. And, and in, in, in 1912, uh, it did in Ostend, Belgium, it did 132 plus miles an hour. When they thought your face would blow off, yeah, no at way, seventy miles an hour. This is no <laughs> joke, and it did one hundred and thirty. These are with hand wrapped tires. I mean, the guys had a big cockpit because they needed it for the equipment that was carried. I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. So this is my salute to that car, and that's the one to tell you the truth uh, that inspired me to build big giant cars. That is, it just makes pictures out of them. I make. Boat tails. People say, well, how come you keep making all them damn boat tails? How many you see here? There's 300 cars. Oh, you're the only. Oh, I get it. 
You know, one of those. <laughs> I have I have stock answers for you know I've heard everything in the world. I've heard everything in the world. Can I say a little something a little risque? Sure, sure. You can always cut it off. <laughs> always, and I want to tell you, it almost always happens. A couple will come up with two couples, two people, two guys, two women, and the guy when usually it's the littlest guy walks up and he says, "How come you make them so?" Big. And I look over at him and I said, ask your wife, does she prefer them big or little? And usually they fall on the ground screaming, the women are laughing at him, people are pointing at him going, ain't he dumb, ain't he dumb. I get more fun out of doing this thing. My instantaneous planned answers. <laughs> Do you still have all of the cars? Not all of them. I got Rusty 1, Rusty 2, the Batmobile. I've got uh, the Bentley, the Black Prince. And I've got uh, the Beast of Turin that we're doing. And uh, I just this weekend, I every once in a while, you, you ever been gobsmacked by a car? You look at it and you say, I've got to have that car. Yes. I don't care what happens. I do, I, I'm known as the king of bling bling. That's my deal. Because <laughs> I put bling bling on everything. If, if I can't put everything to possibly get on it, I won't do it. But anyhow... I'm in Auburn, Indiana, and I went to the Auburn Court Duesenberg Museum, which I must recommend oh, to all you yes. guys. If you haven't been there, go. It is a world life-defining moment. It is the most fantastic museum you've ever been in. The best of America ever in automobiles, and they're all there. Auburn Courts, Duesenbergs, oh. and select other marvelous cars. So you want to you want to go there? Anyhow, where I'm at. I spot this 1912 Oldsmobile, and it's a 1912 Oldsmobile Speedster, and they're called the Defender. It was the first year, and they built these cars. And they were kind of expensive then. And anyhow, this car had just gone to a... I, I don't buy cars that are done, but this one I did. <laughs> but they, it's, 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 it's got... The oh, damnedest things you've ever gorgeous. You've got. I sent you some pictures. Yes, sir. That little yellow speech, sir. Yes, sir. It has got every bling bling thing you could possibly have on it. Even the horn on the side, with bald horn on the side, with a big snake and everything. The head. Did you remember the the movie War of the Worlds? Yes. Remember that big head on the big long snake thing that would go. Oh yeah. people. It looks like that. That's what this horn looks like. <laughs> Honestly, God, that's the shape of it. And you know, I got my first shot when I looked at the car, and I'm, I'm reading a little bit on it, and it says uh, the gentleman spent ten thousand dollars having the copper solar headlights redone, and wow. the lights themselves are probably worth that. And the guy's got like twenty G's just in these headlights. <laughs> But every piece of bling bling on this car is absolutely unbelievable. There's only a few things that I can add. Very insignificant, but I'll add them just because I have to. It's so, in my my psyche. One of the oh other, my god! One of your other cars that I saw last year was just that gorgeous 1938 Buick Wide Job uh, replica, and I know yeah. that was you had that at the Worldwide Auction Sale in Auburn. Um, can you tell us a little bit it about that car? Go. Yeah. It well. Harley Earl back in 1938, uh, he started off 
uh, and he became the, he started doing bodybuilding for and designing cars for movie stars back in the 20s. And in 27, I think he could get a LaSalle for General Motors, or what became General Motors, and, and he did a LaSalle for Cadillac, and they were so impressed, they said, hey, you're, you're our boy, and they made the first design studio. So he, won, he was the guy that did the first cars that were designed specifically to show what was coming in the future. Up until that time, it was just the engineers. Hey, you got a guy in the front, two in the front, two in the back. They didn't give a damn what the body looked like. They were not designed by designers. Carly Earl designed, and he did the wide job, and it was the first basic car, had electric hidden with, uh, 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 headlights, push-button doors, complete enveloped body, and, and the big hood, just one big hood up in front, the trunk in the back with big boat tail went up and down, uh, and it had electric uh, uh, hood on it, or top, that it, it, if it had a little thing that if it's, since there was sprinkles on it, it would automatically <laughs> put the top off. I mean, it's back in 38. And it had an envelope body, which none of the no cars did hardly at all that. They all had individual fenders. Uh-huh. Hood went up on either side. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. So this was the first first of the uh, uh, custom, well, custom and coach build or whatever you want to call it, cars designed to show what was coming in the future. And people could pick out the points and say, boy, I like that or I don't like that. Well, that was the only car that they had. And they had it for from... 38 till 51 when he came up with the Buick LeSabre. Mm-hmm. He drove that car every day. That was his car. And every year, they would update it. And they would put the newest spangled things in it, on it. And uh, anyhow, this is the only copy in the world, the metal copy in the world of this car. And I found it. It was in uh, Orange County. And the fellow that had it, uh, you know, it needed a lot of help and uh he had bought it from the from the family of the deceased guy that had almost finished it, and then he got it and got the family's permission, bought it, and he did a bunch of stuff to it, put in a Corvette engine in it, an L, L engine, and, and it was basically on a 41 Cadillac frame, but it's exactly like the, the uh, Y job, with the exception of the innards on it. Right. And I got to tell you, any you go with that is unbelievable and i saw the thing a couple times and it was kind of beat and i got talking to the guy and he said yeah yeah he said i'd really like to have a couple of hot rods i got my eyes on i said i'll tell you what why don't you drive that on over to my house and we'll see what we can do and that night i drove him home in my old nissan truck very happy guy when he was bought his hot rods and i had the only copy of the most famous car in America. Nice. And it, it really is. is. I mean, it's, a, it's it, an amazing, amazing car. No, it's stunning. I have pictures of it. I, I was uh, talking to the, the model who was sitting in it, and it is an amazing <laughs> car. Of course. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's another thing I do is I put uh, very good-looking women in the cars. <laughs> and, I, and any really good-looking one, they're my chick magnets. My cars are magnets. <laughs> And a good-looking woman will come along and say, would you mind terribly if I take your picture with this car? And of course they're flattered. And they let this old geezer get in there and pose him next to the car, and I take pictures, and then I put it on the Internet. 
people, I, then I get hundreds and hundreds of people hitting on it because they see a beautiful woman in a car or next to the car. And then, of course, they get little girls and that, and they love it. It makes them feel good. What the hell? That's what it's about. Absolutely. <laughs> Amen. Well, Gary, I, we so much appreciate you taking the time to tell us about uh, your amazing cars and your amazing builds, and we could probably talk for hours about all the cool stuff you've done. But the last question we've got for you is always my favorite. It's the one we ask everybody, and it's the one that always gets the best story. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? Well, it does entail the bread game. Can I tell you that story? The, the most recognizable Ferrari in the world. And I paid the magnificent sum of $2,800 for it. In oh, about my gosh. $64.65 from Count Volpe. That in, thing's worth millions. It was, well, it was designed by Bizzarini and finished by Drogo and another fellow. And, and it was designed to beat the GTO Ferrari. Enzo Ferrari hated this car. He despised this car. He said, you cannot paint it red, and you cannot put Ferrari emblems on this car. Boom. You're not going to do it. It was on a 61 short wheelbase Berlinetta chassis. And they built this wild-ass looking thing. Anyhow, I ended up getting it, and, we, and I had it delivered to New York, and Luigi Canetti, the, the New York dealer, had it at his and, you know, when it came in, he had it as his uh, dock spot. And, of course, the longshoreman came and said, oh, that dumbass thing. And they walked on the roof and down the hood and bent, did all that kind of stuff. And I went, eh, okay, what can you do? So, anyhow, we're bringing it home. We'd have, we bought that one. We bought a, uh, a, a Tour de France Ferrari, the, the all B12s. Mm -hmm. And, and one, one, my partner, Dick Merritt, who wrote the first book on Ferraris. We had a place in Detroit called Ferrari Detroit. So anyhow, Dick Merritt got the first GTS Spider ever into the United States. Luigi had it, and he said, can you take it back for the SCCA convention in Detroit? He said, sure. So we each of three of us had a car. Well, Dick Merritt went first, and the idea was, it's in the dead of winter, man. It's like five below zero. And in the dead of winter, we said, Okay, Dick, you go first in the car, and about every every time you come to a Howard Johnson stop, and we'll switch cars, because we're going to be freezing to death. There's no heat in the bread van. There's no heat in the Tour de France. You know, so, okay. Of course, he gets in the car. He's gone. We didn't see him until, you know, eight hours later. So, anyhow, we're in a line going. Then Merritt in front, and my friend, uh, in, 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 in the, in the tour de France in front of me. And about 11 o'clock, we're out of New York and about 11 o'clock, we're going along and it's, you know, you're just doing about 80 miles an hour. And all of a sudden little sparkles, like little diamonds are bouncing off the pavement and hitting the car. Bing, 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 bing. I'm going, what the hell is that? What it was is my friend, Mike Kennedy in front of the tour de France, he had caught a stone, and the whole windshield went, and it went <gasps> opaque. It went opaque, and it didn't break or anything. It just went, you couldn't see through it. Oh, so shit. what would you do? He punched a hole right straight through the windshield <laughs> from the inside out, and, went, and I'm getting eaten all the pieces. So he finally got off the side of the road, and I called my friend uh, Ed Jurist in Nyack, New York, or right by Nyack, New York, 
and the poor bugger gets out of bed, opens up the place, and we take the car in. Now I got this 280-pound pal of mine, and we're getting in a, in, in, you know, you, the bread band's a small little car. And he gets in there, and all he's got is sport jacket on. So I grab a bunch of newspaper, and I get him in there, and his knees are up on the dashboard, dangling his feet. And I plugged all the air vents, the Le Mans air vents, with our underwear and extra shirts and crap like that to plug the watt air from coming in. And then I pack him with newspaper all around him with this newspaper and slam the door and take off. I got sliding plexiglass windows so you can see how airtight it was. <laughs> we're pumping along and, and we're going down the road and about one o'clock in the morning, I kick it up to about 110. I'm going like a bat out of hell. And I see headlights behind me. So I cut it down to about 90. Then I, I better go to 80. And when I, I look up, the car comes up beside me, and I said, eh, who in the hell drives a white Ford? <laughs> Doing about 130, and all of a sudden I hear, it was a cop car. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no. So I pull off the side of the road, and the guy pulls in front of me, and his, he's bright red. What are you doing? Going to my state at that speed. <laughs> I mean, the guy was, when I thought he was going to have a heart attack. I got the hell out of the car. And I said, well, my friend's freezing to death. We're trying to get to a Howard Johnson. And he and he takes his flashlight, looks down, and he shoots it in there. And he said, oh, my God, he's turning blue. He said, you get your ass out of my state. Don't you ever come back. <laughs> when you go over viaducts and bridges, he says, because they ice up. So, man, I got in the car and said, oh, there's a God. He drives a Ferrari. <laughs> we're, caught. we're heading in there. And we got into about the third Howard Johnson down the road. I'd pull him out, mic out, open the door, take the newspaper out, get him, get him stomping up and down, walk him in, fill him full of coffee and let him relieve himself of the coffee that he had. And then we'd go back out. We'd pull in this one, and here's a couple snow plows look like they're mating. And I could, and I could hear the guy saying, Jesus. That's those crazy bastards we heard about. They said, just let them get the hell out of New York State. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyhow, by the time we got into Buffalo, there is old Merrick sitting there in front of the fireplace in Motel Sardine, having a cigar, drinking a drink, and <laughs> waiting for us. And poor Mike, we had to put him in, take his clothes off, and put him in an ice cold bathtub yeah. until it started, until he started to thaw out. And then we would start kept adding hot water and hot oh, water. Until... Yeah. <laughs> so that's the story. Anyhow, if you get a chance to get the book Rebel Rebel by Mark Saunier, it's the only book ever written on an individual Ferrari, and it tells the whole story, and all of that's in there. That's, it's oh a, my it's gosh. an absolutely fabulous book. Rebel Rebel by Mark Saunier, and the only book ever written on, on the bread man. We're so grateful to have you on the show. We've been speaking to Gary Wales about his fascinating life and his fascinating cars. <laughs> you can find all of Gary's social media links on readthedriven.com. Gary, thank you so much for being with us and taking time, and uh, we're going to have to have you back because I know you got a lot of stuff oh, we didn't more. get to cover. I love to do it. i got some stories that will really wrinkle your nose. <laughs> when you're an old fart and you've been around a long time and in the right places, you got a lot. <laughs>
Gary, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Man, does that guy have a ton of history. Oh, my God. The, the stories and the people, the cars, the cars. Oh, and you you got to see him in person. The pictures do not do them justice. He's talking and I'm pointing over the Internet. I'm Googling the hell out of everything going, oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. For real? Oh, he's he's got such amazing stuff and he's built such incredible cars. And the other thing about that is, and you don't really get that until you see him in, in person, there's such quality and craftsmanship involved in those, and he, he just does remarkable work. Gary is a hell of a neat guy. So, Gary, thank you so much for being on, on with us tonight, and thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our audience. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Corey Pratt hey, and Catfish Groves. Yo! And thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio.